Father God, we thank you for your purposes uh, for us this morning. Uh, and wherever you are, Lord, uh, is the house of the Lord. Uh, we pray that uh, you would send your Holy Spirit uh, to speak to our hearts, uh, to heal, restore our bodies, and to sharpen and clarify our minds for the work that you have ahead of us this week. We pray, Lord, that you would create us uh, to be a more effective people of purpose. We pray, Lord, that this would be a morning of unburdening, uh, a correction in our mindsets. In Jesus' name, everybody says, amen. Uh, we, uh, we know uh, around Blue Water that when Jesus calls a person, he always calls that person to a purpose, right? You just don't get called to believe a certain thing about God. You don't get called to have a certain set of, of faith beliefs. Uh, no, you get called to do a job in this world, which is why we have a life span. We have time on earth. And really the point of that time on earth is to do things that demonstrate our trust in God and love and build up the people around us. Jesus calls this being salt and light. And he says that you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. And if you forget to be salty, or as he puts it, if, if salt loses its saltiness, then it's really, it's really good for nothing except to be thrown out. In other words, you've missed the point of life. And much of what we read in Scripture, particularly the New Testament, is about embracing the point uh, of your life. When Jesus called you, he called you to a purpose. And hopefully, if you've been with us for any time at Blue Water, you have come to understand more clearly what your specific and unique purpose is in the world. You have a life purpose. Uh, but the path of that purpose, building that purpose into your life, learning how to live it out, uh, see, that's, that's, where the, that's where the work is. That's where the rubber meets the road. You all have a purpose, but what about your pathway to purpose? And sometimes in life, what we experience is sort of a, well, there's, there's a gap. There's a gap between us understanding that we have a purpose, or maybe even understanding what our life purpose is, and then getting to live it out in what we feel is a full way. You know, it's like, I know what I'm supposed to do, more or less. I have a feeling, but I... I feel like I'm not quite getting it going. I'm not quite getting the full expression of who I am in the Lord or who I'm called to be. There's sort of a gap between purpose and walking out your purpose in fullness. Is it just me or do you sometimes feel like you live in that gap? Anyone? This is this time where you humor the pastor. Say, oh, amen. Preach it, brother. Nice shirt. I don't care. Help me out. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I uh, I came to know uh, to know the calling of the Lord when I was very young uh, through some uh, uh, Christian babysitters that I had. Great family. Uh, didn't really get plugged solidly into Christian fellowship until I was in college. Uh, for various interesting reasons, and, and then kind of really uh, worked out discipleship in a full way uh, when I was in college. It was a very fruitful time for me. And as I was wrapping up college, I was ready to launch out there into young adulthood. Uh, I, I went with my, uh, with my college fellowship to a, a retreat 
where they had invited this, uh, this pastor from uh, the sort of uh, free-flowing, spirit-filled church to come and, and, and be the speaker for a weekend. And, and uh, it was a great retreat for me. I, I didn't have a lot of church culture growing up, so any, you know, I didn't have any rules about how church uh, should be. This guy was a little bit wild, but I thoroughly enjoyed him and the ministry that he brought. And the last evening, or second to last evening of the retreat, I guess the last evening of the retreat uh, before the final day, uh, we were just having a worship service, and, and, uh, and the, the lead minister guy, he called the Spirit to come, and, and he had a prophetic word. He said, uh, the Lord is identifying people uh, in, the, in the crowd tonight um, who are going to be real, um, real earth shakers. You know, the Lord is calling them to be Peters, uh, you know, like the Apostle Peter going to be apostolic, going to build communities in different places around the world. And he sort of gave that word and said, and, and the Lord is just going to put his hand on some of you right now. And I just felt something spiritually. I felt some physical pressure on my back. And I thought, oh, uh, I, bet, I bet the Holy Spirit is falling on me. Um, normally, uh, the fellowship I was part of was kind of buttoned down, a little, a little, little conservative. So I knew that if something supernatural was going to happen, I would be called to explain it later. Uh, so what I did, full of faith, is, is as I felt that spiritual pressure on me, I crawled behind a stack of metal chairs. And then the Spirit fell on me. Uh, I know some of you have had this experience, just the immediate presence of God. Uh, the Spirit fell on me so strongly that it was physical, and I was literally plastered to the ground. And for, for I don't know how much time it was, 10 minutes, I felt like I was under a waterfall. I could not get up. I could not raise my head. I mean, I was plastered to the ground. It was, yeah, it was interesting. But I knew it was God, so I was chill with it, you know. And I, I, and I, knew, I knew what God was saying. It's like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to raise you up to be a real builder uh, in the earth. In particular, you're going to build communities like Peter did. And, and, uh, and this is it, man. I'm giving you some power for that. I'm giving you some encouragement, some presence for that. This is an experience that a lot of us have at the Holy Spirit retreats. We just had one. I know some of you had experiences like this there. And then, you know, eventually, uh, you know, the, the strong hand of the Lord if lifted and I was able to get up. I crawled out from behind the metal chairs and nobody had seen me. It was cool. <laughs> My reputation was intact. Actually, I didn't really have much of a... Oh, I had a reputation. It was not good. Uh, and I was like, man, I want to share the wealth. Uh, so uh, I asked the Lord to point out a couple people to me who who needed an encouraging experience. He indeed pointed out one friend. So I walked up to him and said, man, I just had a great encounter with the Spirit of the Lord. I want to pray for you. I put my hand on him, prayed for him. Same thing happened, you know, just spreading the love, just spreading the love. And, and then I got in trouble because, uh, I, you know, when, when he went down, everybody saw it and I was called in and had to explain myself before the leaders. So it was an interesting time. I was about 20 years old, 21 years old at the time. Uh... I remember that evening for a lot of reasons. Uh, one thing I learned that weekend uh, from the type of ministry that was done there was that things had to be a little messy and awkward in order to be free. You know, you had to, you had to do ministry in a way that let people be weird and, and you had to allow for some awkward moments. You had to allow for some culture clash and stuff like that. Um, and... Uh, I've, I've carried that truth forward. I mean, look around you. Weird, awkward, messy, and lots of interesting stories. 
I learned that I was supposed to be a builder in my life, that I had a definite calling to do something. And I made the decision right in that moment. It's like, all right, the rest of my life, I'm going to be a kingdom minister. I'm going to figure out how to do this. And, and I'm going to build faith communities. You're one of them. Congratulations. For better or worse, here you are. Though it was one of the holiest, most powerful experiences I had, uh, certainly to my Christian walk up to that point, it was super impressive and sacred to me. Uh, the, the very next morning, I immediately fell under suspicion. I immediately was called to account for what had happened because it looked so strange and was kind of inexplicable. And I was so young and had been messy with it. Um, and so I learned that when God does something powerful, often it's hard to translate it for people, you know, and, and you have to be a little bit independent in your walk with the Lord. And the more powerful your walk is, the more independent that you have to be. I was talking to an older guy uh, who, had, who had planted a, a church and had walked some of the walk, a guy that I admired. I was talking to him about a month later about it, not even a month, probably two or three weeks. And I was saying, yeah, you know, I, I'm going to go forth. I'm going to build faith communities. I guess I have to go to seminary. I guess I have to become a, an official pastor or something like that. I'm not really sure how to do it. And he said, no, Jordan, don't you, don't you dare do that. You've had a very weird life up till now. And if you know my life story, you know, it was a little bit unconventional. What you need to do is find a good church, join it, and just live the life for at least two or three years. Just live the life. Don't become an expert. Just become a person. And I took that advice to heart and uh, have never regretted it. Uh, just live the kingdom life. And then after that powerful experience and getting good, uh, good advice came a lot of years in life in which I worked my butt off for the kingdom but never felt like I found my place in the world. Now, that's a boring sentence. You know, I told you a great colorful story of this powerful experience that I had with the Lord. And then I'm telling you, for 14 or 15 years after that, I worked my butt off for God. And, and Sony and I ha accidentally planted a few churches during that time. Um, but there's never a permanent place for me. Uh, I w we're always on the outs, always struggling in life, always, you know, struggling to make a living, for instance, and stuff like that. So the time of just living the life uh, was much larger than that powerful evening that I had. I, I understood my purpose in those brief moments at that retreat and that fateful weekend during my young adult years. But there were like 14 or 15 years followed in which I had to figure out the pathway. And that's life, yeah? That's life. Now, I'm over 50 years old, and I can look back on it with some perspective, uh, and it's the perspective that I want to share with you this morning. There's understanding your purpose, and then there's walking the pathway. And somewhere in there is maturity and fruitfulness and harvest and everything uh, that you want. Um, it was a long 14 or 15 years, but slowly, inexorably, irresistibly, I became a better version of me, and now I'm this awesome person that stands in front of you this morning. That's true. My grandma, my grandma says so. 
and you can count on the words of grandma. There's a difference between knowing your purpose and building a pathway to that purpose, and, and, and God's purpose in your life might not be born full-grown. It might be born small, and then you have to give it a whole bunch of nourishment and care before it becomes large enough to carry its own weight, so to speak. Um, might not be born full grown, but get to work on it and stay busy. Because if you neglect it when it's small, of course, it won't grow at all, will it? Get to work and stay busy. And sometimes you have to get to work and stay busy for a long period of time. One of my uh, big life verses comes from Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And that's a great a great life slogan. Um, we're studying the life of Paul, who is the greatest missionary, the greatest church planter in Christian history, probably. He's a huge figure in the New Testament. Uh, he uh, wrote most of the books of the New Testament, probably, or at least uh, about half of them. Um, and, and he's the guy that really took the kingdom uh, to the non-Jewish world in a big way. And so uh, indirectly, he's responsible for uh, most of us being here uh, this morning. A huge uh, hero, and we get a lot of his life, a lot of his biography in the book of Acts in the New Testament, and also through the many letters that he wrote, the many epistles, those books of the Bible that come toward the end of the New Testament. He wrote those books uh, mostly to other churches that he was helping to disciple, and uh, he shared a lot about his life in those letters. Uh, we're in, uh, we've been doing this uh, series for a couple weeks already. In the first week, we saw Paul's conversion or his calling when the Lord called him to ministry. Uh, we call him Paul mostly in history, but his Jewish name was Saul. Uh, in Scripture, they are both used. Uh, and when uh, Saul hated Christians and indeed was, uh, was literally murdering them, throwing them into prison as an agent of the religious uh, leaders of the Jewish people, and then he encounters Jesus in a bright light from heaven, and, and, and literally, you know, the rest is history. Uh, on, that, uh, on that day, uh, the Lord Jesus gave him a calling. He said, this man, Saul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name, which is just an awesome life calling. I mean, that's the life calling that you want, right? You're going to be a really fruitful mis uh, minister uh, internationally, and it's totally going to suck. Yay. Uh, raise your hand if you want that calling. I want half of it. So he gets this mysterious call and he says, yeah, you know, he's going he's gonna to take the kingdom to other Jews, but he's going to be the guy that takes the kingdom international, kind of beyond the Jews, to the Greeks, to the Romans, and stuff like that. Um, and uh, as part of the calling, I'm going to encourage him to, as we say, embrace the suck. Everybody say, embrace the suck. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. That's important because it's only when things suck that we sacrifice, and sacrifice is the mechanism of love, right? If, it, if, it's, not, if it's not sacrificial, then it's really not, it's not deep love. So God is just very upfront with that. 
uh, with Paul. And we know a bit then about what happened for Saul slash Paul immediately afterwards. What did he do? Well, at once, Scripture says, it uses that phrase, at once he got to work. At once the dude went out and started preaching. At once he went into the Jewish synagogues, the Jewish churches, and started proving to them that Jesus was the Messiah, uh, the story goes, uh, in the book of Acts. At once he got to work. Uh, At once, he had this tenuous relationship with the other Christian leaders of the day for good reason, because up till that day, he had been murdering them, uh, and so they weren't so sure about his conversion and his calling. Only gradually did the other Christian uh, leaders come to accept Saul, and that was mostly because he was was adopted. He was sort of hanaid by this guy named Barnabas, who was a very respected Christian leader, Uh, and pastor of the day. And Barnabas got a hold of Saul and vouched for him and took him to the other apostles and said, no, no, this guy is for real. He had a real encounter with Jesus. He's been risking his life to preach the kingdom. You can trust him. And so they kind of accepted him. It would actually be some years in the working out of that, but they at least let him work with good reputation. Uh, In a very short period of time, in a matter of months, um, he had People tried to kill him not once but twice. He had to be uh, snuck out of Damascus, and later on he had to be smuggled out of Jerusalem uh, because uh, the religious Jews did not like his preaching. A very dramatic beginning. And to keep him safe, uh, the Christian community hustled him off to a a place called Tarsus, which was Paul's hometown. It was a very uh, ethnically mixed town on the seacoast. Uh, in, in Palestine, sort of a commercial hub. And, and so that's the last we hear of him in Acts 9. He gets smuggled out of Jerusalem and he goes to live in Tarsus. And then the record goes quiet. For 10 or 12 years, Paul is just in his hometown. And we're not sure exactly what he did during those 10 or 12 years, but it's just such an interesting story. And I love this bit of the story. I mean, here's a guy, super passionate, super dedicated. He hates Christians at first, right? He doesn't have an ounce of apathy in him. He doesn't have an ounce of neutral in his body. So it's like, well, this Jesus thing really hacks me off. I'm going to kill them all, you know? So first he's trying to stamp out uh, the Christian faith. And then, boom, light from heaven. I mean, it doesn't get more dramatic than that, right? Just knocked to the ground. He's blinded. He's healed. He gets this call. You're going to be my witness to Israel. I'm going to send you to the Romans, the Greeks. You're going to be a world shaker, dude. You. Uh, and, and, and Paul's like, yes. And so the very next day, he's out there. He's preaching. He's, he's so effective that people want to kill him now. I mean, that was quite a weekend. You know, and... And uh, they're trying to kill him. He gets smuggled out of the city. He makes his way to Jerusalem. He does the same thing there. Uh, he has, you know, he's, he's a politically controversial figure. He's a spiritually controversial. And he gets, he ends up back in his hometown. And then, pff, quiet, quiet. You know, the, record, the record goes still. And there's a lot that is left unsaid. For 10 or 12 years, near as we can tell, he was, he was just back home. Uh, surely he was ministering, you know, because he was not a guy just to, just to sit on his hands. So no doubt uh, he, was, he was, you know, converting people in, in Tarsus, his hometown, and trying to build up a church there. Uh, 
We know that somewhere during that period, he picked up an honest trade. He learned how to make tents, leather tents that travelers used. And so he probably made his living just, you know, as a tradesman uh, doing that sort of thing. Uh, During that time, he would have been uh, sort of late 20s to mid 30s in here. Uh, Most people of his status would would have gotten married. He expressly chose not to get married in order to keep his life free and flexible for ministry. He explained this later on. Let's hear it. Let's hear it for celibacy. For ministry purposes. Let's hear it for celibacy. Let's be very specific about this. Celibacy. The gift nobody wants. But Paul says it's a great gift and and he chose it uh, as he would, right? I mean, if he believed that part of his calling was to suffer a lot, you know, to see the guy that wanted to raise a family, you know, God said, no, dude, you got to embrace, embrace the suffering. And so he sensibly thought it through. No compromise in this guy, you know. So he expressly chose not to get married, which would have made him a bit of an oddball. He became a kind of footnote to the story uh, for, you know, better than a decade. Anybody ever felt like a footnote to history? A footnote of a footnote? Like, I'm supposed to have a story here. I feel like a footnote to somebody else's. Um, I imagine there was something like that going on. Maybe during that time he learned to just serve. You know, whatever his hand found to do, he did it with all his might. Maybe he just served as best he could, uh, which is not a lesson that you can rush. I mean, if you're going to be a humble servant, by definition, that lesson's going to take a lot of time. Anybody can be a humble servant for a weekend. To be a humble servant for a decade, all right, that changes you. That's formative. So maybe there was some of that going on. Maybe he learned to be, you know, humble, which is different than being repentant. You know, Paul was a shining star in the Jewish religious community, and he proved it by killing Christians. Then he had a super encounter with Jesus, and the very next day he became a super preacher uh, for Jesus. You know, so that's repentance, literally. That's a change of mind. That's a change of thinking. But it's not, that sort of change doesn't necessarily mean he's humble, right? Because it, it, it could mean that he just wanted to be a Christian rock star instead of a pharisaical rock star. But man, if you feel like a footnote for 10 years, okay, that's humility, right? That requires something of your soul, So maybe there was some of that going on. Saul, we know, was super well-educated. He was super smart. And maybe his time of just kind of being uh, home maybe taught him that as smart as he was, maybe he didn't have all the answers. Maybe he couldn't just figure out how to get breakthrough in his life. Maybe he had to learn that, well, hard work and cooperation with God and cooperation with other people was part of it. You know, Uh, he probably during that time developed some sort of ministry style. I mean, we all have different ways that we go about ministry. And I imagine getting 10 or 12 years of experience sort of, you know, everybody needs techniques and approaches and really cool discipleship questions to ask people, you know, stuff like that. Um, 
He might have been just learning style, you know, learning how he best did things. He probably learned how to live in a community of people during that time. He was raising up and being part of a church in Tarsus. He probably learned how to kind of just live with people, be one of them, belong to them, and have them belong to him, which is essential because that's how the kingdom raises up and restores people. We invite them into community. So he had to learn the ropes of community. You know, and that that can't be rushed. You don't learn that in a weekend. You learn it by walking years with people. Maybe he learned how to love people instead of just learning how to instruct or teach people. Loving people is a very different game, isn't it? Maybe he learned the fine art of being different, being weird, while still fitting into a community because that's an important life lesson, right? If you can't belong to a community where you feel you don't fit, then you don't know how to belong to a community because a lot of people feel like they don't fit. That's part of being an individual. Collection of individuals say that's community. And Paul would write on that theme a lot in his future letters, particularly to the Corinthians and to the Romans. So he learned something about being in a community while still preserving individuality and weirdness. Maybe he felt a little bit forgotten, but just kept serving anyway for years and years and thereby learned how to be truly independent in life. Maybe that's how he became an actual independent individual, which I think is the rarest creature on earth. Very few of us ever managed to pull that off. Maybe he learned to not look for human validation. And uh, in that way, he could interact freely and truly with everyone, no matter what, because he didn't need anything from them to feel good about himself. Maybe he had lots and lots of experiences with people and with God and learned how to live in the kingdom rather than just encourage people to live in the kingdom. Experience, man. Experiences. Another word for that is stories. We have a saying around Blue Water. We're in it for the stories. My, my wealth, I think our chief wealth as a community is that we've got so many stories to tell, so much experience, and that's authority, and that's confidence when you gather stories and experience. In a great relationship um, between people, I think the most important parts of the conversation often lie in what is not said. You know, you ever been close enough to someone that you could communicate through what you don't say to one another? Are you feeling me? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, my best friends are people that I can be totally quiet with. And, and we totally understand what's going on, you know. The power of what is left unsaid. Well, in, in Paul's story in Scripture, some of the most influential and formative moments, I think, are left unrecorded. There's just this gap. But somewhere in that gap, Paul became Paul. And that's how it is often in life. In your life, I can almost guarantee that the most formative times will be the lonely ones. I can almost guarantee that the most powerful shaping times in your life will be the times that no one else notices in which you decide who you are and what you're about. Almost guarantee that that's true. Whether or not you embrace that and cooperate with it, well, that's something different. Uh, And then, and then what happened? Well, then... It's printed in the back of your program. We pick up his story. It'll be up here on the big screen as well. 
and then things take off. I just didn't want you to think that things just took off automatically. Oh, no, there were 10 or 12 years here. 10 or 12 years here that I think are at least as important as any of the other years in Paul's life. So we pick up the story in Acts chapter 11 now, which is about a third of the way through the book of Acts. And what has happened is that the church, the Christians have fallen under persecution almost everywhere uh, in the world, uh, in, in, in Israel. Uh, and so the Christians are kind of leaving town, leaving Jerusalem, leaving the borders of Israel, and they're ending up in strange places like Syria, for instance, north of Israel. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, in other words, men not born in Jerusalem, but men who had come to faith in Jesus while in Jerusalem. They had to flee Jerusalem uh, under the Christian persecutions. Uh, And they went to Antioch, which is a town north in Syria, and began to speak to Greeks also. So men of Cyprus and Cyrene would have been Greek speakers. They would, have, they would have been able to speak the language. So they go to Antioch, which is not a, not a Jewish town, and they start preaching the gospel to, well, non-Jewish Greek-speaking people. Because of persecution, the kingdom is starting to go international. Uh, so they went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Well, we know Barnabas. He's the guy that kind of validated Paul's ministry. He's a, by this time, he's a very well-known pastor in the Christian movement. So he gets dispatched to Antioch to see if he can kind of see what's going on, bring a little order and health and life to, to this uh, evangelism that's happening there. And when he arrived and saw that the, what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true in the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Barnabas becomes a really successful builder of churches. He would build in Antioch later. He would build in Cyprus. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. He hadn't seen him for a decade, maybe. And he goes to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Why? Because Barnabas remembers that Saul has a call on his life to be a witness to Greeks, to non-Jews, to Greek-speaking people. I said, I remember this guy. He could be really helpful here. I'm going to go get him, which is the second time that Barnabas has brought Saul into, into the fold, into fruitful ministry. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch, which is a phrase that I love. The followers of Jesus are now learning to be imitators of Jesus, which is what the word Christian means. It means little Christ. Uh, We pick up the story then in Acts 13. Now in the church at Antioch, this church that they built, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. In other words, it had become a very robust church. It wasn't just Paul and and Barnabas doing the work. It's like everybody was coming into their ministry. They were indeed becoming like little Christ. They were all imitating Jesus, and no wonder the place was exploding. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Oh, here we go. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. A lot of fasting and praying in Antioch. We'll have to talk about that some other time. 
Barnabas and Saul, set aside for the work to which I have called them. Here comes the fullness of calling. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. All right, now they're going into truly foreign places. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. Uh, This was John Mark, probably, the guy who would ultimately write the Gospel of Mark. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, Bar-Joshua that would have been, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. They're giving you all these names to really anchor it in history. All these people actually existed. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. Notice up till now that it's always listed Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, which was a Greek convention. The most important guy is always listed first, Barnabas and Saul. So Saul is along for the ride a little bit. Sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, Elymas means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, this is where he becomes Paul in history. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. You will never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord. Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. He threw down. Immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. He was struck blind. Oh, and Paul knew about being struck blind. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed. Well, yeah, you would, wouldn't you? He believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. A little addendum here from Paphos, Paul. Now, from here on, he's called Paul. A transition has taken place in his life. He has just become the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul and his companions, Barnabas is now companion, <laughs> Right? Now, now Paul is in charge. Uh, we just witnessed the moment where we, he really got his breakthrough. Now Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Just remember that fact. John abandoned them. Uh, he, he sort of chickened out at that point, and that would become a deal uh, later on. Uh, I love, I love this story because you just kind of get to see this moment in Paul's life, but you have to understand kind of the blank the long 10 or 12 years that preceded it, finally, sort of a breakthrough uh, moment. You know, they build this great church in Antioch, but, you know, Saul is just along uh, for the ride. But it's, it's just, it's interesting to note that somewhere in Paul's 10 or 12 years, he figured out how to build a church really, really well. He figured out community. He figured out how to build community. And that, of course, would become the hallmark of his ministry. Um, and, and it's this church who understood itself and understood what it was like to imitate Christ. They send out Barnabas and Saul. Um, Barnabas and Saul are sent off for a unique mission and intentional missions to reach the Gentiles. The first mission of its kind, first intentional mission of its kind. And then when the moment came, Saul throws down against this sorcerer, Elymas. Just notice Saul's extreme confidence. You know, he knew what to do. He knew it, right? He had been struck blind himself. He had been through all of this stuff. He had been through 10 or 12 years of 
maturation. And when the time came, he says, I'm going to strike you blind. Boom. There you go. You're blind. Is it this the authority, the confidence, the knowing who he was in that moment is just fantastic. It's like, where did that come from? Well, it came from all the moments that aren't recorded. It came from all the decisions that he made along the way. But this guy had somehow become unshakable. So when it came time to step into breakthrough, he did not even blink. And then from that moment on, he's in charge. He's sort of promoted, even above Barnabas, who was the most famous church planner of the day till then. And from then on, it's sort of Paul's story uh, in, in the book of Acts. Fascinating. It is imperative to get to work at once in your life. But life doesn't happen all at once. There is no place for delay, but there is a great need for patience. So no place for delay, only patience. Say that with me. No delay, only patience. Right? Patience doesn't mean not doing anything. Patience means doing whatever you can as faithfully as you can for as long as you can. As you grow and the pieces move and life uh, matures for you. There's no substitute for time and testing and experience. You've got to try immediately and then you try again after that and then you try again and again for a very long time until you get really good at trying and you get used to the life of faith. Another way to say it is that truly great faith requires faithfulness. Truly great faith requires faithfulness. Even if you encounter Jesus in a bright light from heaven, Another way to say it is that in life, there's a great difference between being off track and finding your way. A lot of you are finding your way in life. Now, looking at you from the outside, it might look like you're just directionless, but that's not it at all because you're keeping on working. You're staying with it. You're finding your way. You're not lost. You're just finding your way. You see the difference? And that's an important truth in life, um, no matter where you are with the Lord. Uh, You might think, am I making progress or not? Well, I don't know. I think the more important question is, are you sticking with it or not? What are you learning? Those are the important diagnostic questions. If you're serving and working and focusing on purpose as best as you understand it, uh, then you're definitely finding your way. If you're just coasting, waiting for God to drop it on you, uh, then maybe you're losing your way. Uh, There's a great moment in life when you come to stand in who you are. You know what I mean by that? When you can kind of just stand in who you are in the Lord, no matter what. People are trying to kill you or you need to blind the occasional sorcerer or something like that. It's like, Nah, man, this is, this is what I do. This is what I do. Stand in who you are no matter what. You can say like, you know, dude, I've, I've failed in life and I've, I've rebounded. I've been honored for doing bad things. I've been honored for doing good things. Uh, the people who should have supported me didn't. I kept at it anyway. I became me. I came to understand who I am. 
I've experienced the very present and powerful God, and I've experienced the God who is silent and often seems distant. I've done both. And you know what? I know how to be me in both situations. I've invested my life in tons of people and seen some of them flourish and seen some of them turn their back on me and walk away. I've had both experiences. And you know what? I know who I am in both experiences. Some of them to this day are my friends and some of them have turned against me. You know what? I still know who I am. I don't look to them for validation. I've been loved and accepted like nobody's business. And I've been really lonely sometimes. I know who I am in both seasons. I've been certain about what I should do. And sometimes I've just made my best guess at what I should do. And I know who I am in both situations. I've lived the life. I don't know everything, but I know what to do. I know what I do. And if you can say that, you can stand. If you can say that uh, you're ready. I don't know what God's timelines are for your life, but the goal is you to be able to do whatever you ought, whenever you ought. You got to stay busy with that. If the Lord dropped an incredibly intense kingdom miracle life on you today, could you do it? Could you do it properly? And it's your job uh, to be ready. If the Lord, I don't know, took away our church building, theoretically speaking, uh, could we still be the church? Uh, If your friends left you, could you still love people unflinchingly? Yes or no? If God didn't coddle you every day, could you still do your job? And uh, it's cool if you know the answers to these questions. It's cool if you've experienced yourself making decisions along those lines. Uh, But to know the answers, to know that you know the answers, you sometimes have to live some long and obscure days, if you know what I mean. I have not done a particularly good job at this personally um, because, like I say, you know, from the time I felt like the Lord was really empowering me and calling me uh, to get busy in, in ministry, the 14 or 15 years, uh, a lot of them, uh, frankly, I, I, just, I was just really pissed and depressed. Uh, and I think, as a result, I got, I got slowed down, and I know for sure that I got weakened I didn't really understand Paul's life until I had kind of lived a little bit of it, so to speak. And maybe that's true for you as well. So let this be an encouragement to you. If you feel like you're in a time of life where you're kind of like a footnote to somebody else's story, or if you feel like you might have a calling, but you have no idea what it's like to live a life of calling, you feel like this guy keeps talking about my life purpose, but my life kind of sucks and you need to learn to embrace the suck a little bit, you know, maybe if that's you, take it from some people who have lived a life or take it from the life of Paul, you know, that's part of the process. And you got to trust the process because you don't just have a life, you have a lifespan. You have a life story. And I want you all to be present in yours no matter where you are on the arc of it. Amen? Holy Spirit, uh, I pray uh, that uh, you would inspire us to be who we are in you. 
no matter where we are in the arc of the story. Surely great things are ahead because uh, you are creatively minded about each of us, Lord. Surely there is fruitful purpose and harvest in our life. Surely. But we got to do the whole process, God. Whatever we find to do, we need to do it with all our might. We have to not delay even while we're being patient. And I pray that you just give us the breadth of humanity to do that, that you would breathe on us, that we would be people content to walk with you, even if we're just hanging around our hometown looking for positive things to to contribute. Be relieved, brothers and sisters. You have a lifespan. Speak to speak to us, Holy Spirit.